Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Today, we have Palmer Kippola. She is the author of Beat Autoimmune, The Six Keys to Reverse Your Condition and Reclaim Your Health. She is a speaker, an author, a functional medicine certified health coach, and she specializes in helping people reverse and prevent autoimmune conditions. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Elle. It is a privilege and honor to be with you. Let's tell the audience, we were actually, we met at PaleoFX this year, and I was early for my book signing, and you were just finishing up yours, and we had this lovely conversation, and we, we had a real in-depth, deep, short meeting there, but it was, it was really wonderful to, like you said before, we just came on, meet a kindred spirit, um, so it was just, it was just lovely to, to, to run into you and then also be able to provide this information to our audience because your book is really wonderful. Oh, thank you so much. And I had the exact same feeling about you. It was kind of that soulmate opportunity, just quick passing, but you know that, you know, maybe there's a connection there. Amazing. So this is um, a really wonderful story that anyone who's listening, if you know anyone suffering from any autoimmune disorder, particularly MS or anyone that was diagnosed with any of these things, please share Palmer's work with them. Um, And I would say the same for people who are suffering from rheumatoid arthritis to go also share and listen to episode 273 with Seamus Mullen, who's a chef who used food and discovered things about food that helped him get off of that. Um, Your story is really profound. It's also such a a sad tale in terms of what could have become of you. (laughs) But but let's let's start with what happened. You, um, 19 years old, tell us what happened to you. Yeah, I was a 19-year-old, happy, healthy, well-adjusted young woman home uh, for the summer after my freshman year of college. So I was in Southern California and work in a local job um, as a hostess. And one morning I woke up and the soles of my feet had that pins and needles feeling that like you've slept on a limb all night, only this morning the blood didn't flow back. Um, As much as I shook my legs, it just wouldn't come back. And I thought, well, it'll just go away. So off I went to work and that tingling just crept up my legs like a vine. And By the time the tingling reached my knees, I knew something was wrong. So I called my parents and they called the family doctor who said, get her to the neurologist at UCLA. So that afternoon we made our way to UCLA and um, the neurologist was a woman who did a really cursory exam. It was like five or six minutes and she had me walk across her floor, heel toe, touch my fingers to my nose, did my reflexes and then pronounced, I'm 99% certain that you have multiple sclerosis, MS. And my family, we looked at each other. We had never heard of this, had no idea what this was. And she, and the neurologist said, if I'm right, there's nothing you can do except go home, wait it out. Uh, your options are medication and you're probably going to need to prepare for your life in a wheelchair. And that was that. That was it. And this is before the internet. So we had never, not only never heard of MS, um, but there was nothing to go home and check Dr. Google with. Um, and by that evening, um, after we left the office, the tingling had reached right underneath my neck. So it had gone all the way up my body, up my chest. 
And uh, by the time I got into bed that night, my mom climbed in with me and she was holding me and crying. And I was crying harder because by this time, everything that had gone was tingling had gone completely numb. And my body would be completely numb, like no, I couldn't feel anything pinched, anything. Couldn't feel pinches, stubbed toes, anything at all for a full six weeks. So it was a terrifying time. Yeah, that is so terrifying. And for because we will be blanketly just talking about MS, can you give everyone a sort of such a you know great fourth grade explanation of how, what MS is and how it did that to you? Yeah, absolutely. To make you feel that way, yeah. Right. Well, um, so MS is an autoimmune condition, short for multiple sclerosis. And it, as it turns out, it doesn't matter what the autoimmune condition is, whether it's rheumatoid arthritis, Hashimoto's, MS, whatever your weak link is, it turns out that I have the genes for MS. So it's an immune system problem where the immune system just doing its job thinks it's attacking some attackers or some invaders uh, protecting you. And what happens is, um, in the case, it could be molecular mimicry where there's some molecule, a protein molecule floating around your bloodstream that shouldn't be there, like a gluten molecule or an egg white. And it starts to attack that because it shouldn't be in your bloodstream. Um, we'll talk about how that happens. But in the process, the at the most molecular level, that gluten pro, uh, molecule and your myelin tissue in the case of MS, or your joints in the case of rheumatoid arthritis, or your thyroid in the case of Hashimoto's or Graves, looks like that foreign protein. And so when your immune system goes to attack that particular foreign element, your body gets caught in the crossfire. So it's a case of mistaken identity in some cases. In some cases, it's literally just gets caught in the crossfire. Right. And we talk about the myelin sheath. The only reason I know that word myelin is because my niece got transverse myelitis mm. from a vaccine, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, so basically what happened was, is it attacked the myelin in her back and rendered her, um, you know, like she was six months old and she couldn't move her legs and she'd only crawled. So she didn't have the muscle memory from before. Yeah. So, so is that what it's doing? So it's, it's, a, it's a te- affecting your myelin and what, so all of those nerves, is that what that tingling yes. was? So it's a, okay. So just kind of wanted to get the like yeah, mechanical. But I'd, like to, I, I'd like to actually describe it. So thank you for uh, bringing me to that. You can imagine um, anything that plugs into an electrical socket uh, typically has some sort of plastic coating around it. Like, you know, what your computer is plugged into the wall the cord has that plastic coating. That's the myelin sheath. It's actually the fatty covering around your nerves, your brain and your spinal column. And it's protecting your nerves from being exposed. And so um, in the case of multiple sclerosis, when the immune system is attacking the myelin, it actually eats away at the myelin so that the nerves themselves are exposed. And when that area hardens, it, think of it as scab that scars. Those are the sclerosis, the scabs or the scars that form. So it's multiple scars is what, and so that's why it's so important. That's fast. Actually, I did not know that. That's, um, you're explaining this so well. I want to just highlight or jump in here. So this sheath is protecting mm-hmm. like the cord, you know, is yes. protecting electrical nerves. They get weakened or attacked by the immune system. So then because it's kind of an up and down in and out situation, is it that like, so then it'll stop attacking it. And then as it's quote healing, that's when the scabs are forming. 
Right. That's the best of my understanding is that okay. that's what happens. And so the way that MS is diagnosed is typically with an MRI that's picking up those plaques or those scleroses on the brain and brainstem. Got it. That's, and you know, it's so interesting too. And, um, we'll get into, you know, all the things people have told you that were not true, but so many doctors are out there relegating people to wheelchairs. This has happened to a lot of people I know. I used to swim with a woman who um, also, like you, found out a long, long time ago, used some experimental drug, I think, um, in Israel. But bottom line is that through diet and everything else, she managed to stay out of a wheelchair for years. She just was not going to accept that. So to everyone out there, do not accept it. People like Palmer did not. And... Um, when I saw Palmer, she was standing and walking just fine. So, um, all right, so let's get into this. Now, here's the interesting thing. And we're going to talk, uh, um, your book is so great. It has everything from food lists, supplements, recipes, everything you need to know about, you know, diets and why things work better than others for this. But let's talk a little bit about, you had this really interesting experience where you were laying on the couch and thinking about like, why did I get this? Yes. So let's talk about that. That was a pivotal moment for me. And um, I just invite everybody who's listening to this who has an autoimmune condition to really, really dig deep to uh, look at the why. So I was laying on the couch. I didn't have much to do. I was grateful the Summer Olympics were on TV as a happy distraction. Um, And some people came and brought gifts that weren't too scared off by this mysterious disease. And this one family friend who was into things metaphysical came and she asked me a question that I didn't view as a gift at the time. I was actually quite affronted or offended by it. She said, Palmer, why do you think you got the MS? And I just, I was- It's such a harsh question, right? right? I'd be immediately angry. I'd be like, how dare you blame me? (laughs) Exactly. I mean, everything rose up in me uh, just to lash out. But I didn't have very far to go and I had a lot of time on my hand and I just couldn't let go of the question. So I kind of got like a dog with a bone on this and just started chewing it over and over in my mind. And at first I thought, well, I wonder maybe, did I have anything to do with this? And I am telling you that in a flash of insight, it came to me. Um, And if I can take you back in time a little bit. So I'm 19, I'm lying on the couch. I have this flash of insight and we have to go back to when I was a baby because I was adopted at three days old by very loving parents. But my dad had been a fighter pilot whose way was invariably the right way. And he had very strong opinions on how things should be. And my mom perpetually struggled with her weight. And my dad didn't like that she was overweight. So he would yell at her and he was a big yeller. Anyway, one of my earliest memories is me, I must be three or four. And my dad is yelling at my mom who's shut her bedroom door. So he's standing in the hallway yelling at her. And I am three or four with my little fists up, my little dukes up, um, yelling back at my dad that if you don't shut up, I'm going to make you. Like I am not going to let him attack my mom. So I had become a little child warrior. I mean, I was really always scanning my environment, ready to defend and protect, could catch knives out of the air, was, became, uh, I had a period of insomnia as a child. And I just viewed in that instant, L, I don't know where I got this because I knew nothing about the immune system, but I believed that it was like a case of Don Quixote, that I was going to lunge at windmills if nothing was real, that if my immune system didn't have a real battle to wage, like a virus or bacteria or whatever, that it would turn on my own body. And that 
actually still resonates with me that there is some component, I don't know if you would call that self-loathing, whatever you would call it. It's just, I was always in this hyper-vigilant chronic stress state. So my initial hypothesis, yeah. Yeah, that hyper-defensive really resonated with me when you mentioned it as that. And then immediately that word kind of goes along with what the immune system is doing hyper defensive. Yes. So that, um, that initial hypothesis still rings true for me today, even though I do know there's more to the story. I think that chronic stress, and as we'll see, um, there's now evidence that things that happen in childhood don't stay in childhood. They really don't. Um, there is a study called the ACEs study that, which is short for adverse childhood experiences, that shows a very strong correlation between things that happen in childhood, even, you know, not all that traumatic. I mean, you don't have to be physically, mentally, emotionally abused, but it could be, you know, something happens and it sticks with you. It it stays with you that it can be linked to autoimmune conditions decades later. It's absolutely worth looking into these things. I had to look into it for thyroid and the quote, spiritual mind connection, mind body connection is, uh, someone who is not expressing themselves uh, and, or creatively. And while I expressed myself all the time, I had one area in my romantic relationships where I couldn't. And and so it was linked up with that. It was interesting because when I looked back at the time that I got hypothyroidism, I was in such a relationship with someone who I had to walk on eggshells around and I felt choked up and couldn't speak. Mm. Uh, never again after that. But But again, something in hindsight going, oh, that's kind of an interesting correlation that I learn about this thing. And when I look back at when I was diagnosed, that that is exactly the state that I was in, inability to speak up. So these things are really worth looking into. I also, um, you know, when we met at Paleo FX, we got into it right away. You know, I was there and usually I'm speaking about thyroid and I was on some panels, but I was speaking about the shame of disability and the disability of shame. And this can come with either whether it was my hand injury, but you know, you have something that, aside from people who have unfortunately ended up in wheelchairs, MS is something sometimes you can't see unless the person has a bad day with walking or right. But in general, there might not be something they can see. Um, you dealt with it at such a young age when no one even knew what this was. Um, I can only imagine, but I, I just, and you sound like you had a loving, supportive family and, and network, but it. W- there had to have been some embarrassment. I mean, you know, I was trying to explain to the audience too during my speech that it, the world goes, well, don't be embarrassed. Why are you ashamed? It's not your fault. You've got this thing and you're like, that's not the point. I feel defective. You know, there's, there's, there's still something there that everybody who is given a diagnosis like this experiences. So I just, can you talk about that? You know, cause you've gone through so many years of, of, of before that, you know, after the diagnosis, it's been many years since you're 19. So not, 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 I didn't mean it in that way, but <laughs> damn, that sounded horrible. No, but you know what I'm saying? So I I'd do. love you to just touch on this whole subject for us. Absolutely. Too. Absolutely. Well, I already introduced my father in the story. So, um, he is my, uh, I have to say that he, he's the villain of the story, but he's also the hero, right? So my, first sentence I ever said was, I can do it. And my dad was always right there behind me, honey, you can do anything. You can do anything. I mean, he really was so supportive and loving. And yet he had this, this anger. Um, and he had this real desire to be seen as a strong person. So when I was diagnosed with the MS, he would tell me, honey, you can beat this thing. You know, he was really cheering me on. He became my number one motivator. And that, you know, led to me titling the book Beat Autoimmune because of my dad. But 
he also had a really strong perspective that I shouldn't tell anybody about this, that I needed to hide it because people would perceive me as weak, especially as I got into the workforce. So I joined AT&T, you know, the corporate uh, America, and I was on the fast track and promotion this and that. And if I, if anybody knew that I had this, they might not give me opportunities for travel or to live and work in Europe or whatever it was. So my dad was really the one that was, I don't know that he felt ashamed of it. He didn't want me to experience any discrimination in the workforce yep. or any, do you know what I'm saying? Like he really wanted me to project strength at all costs. And the reason is, is because unfortunately he knows what is unfortunate, but that people would undoubtedly make decisions with something in their subconscious about you and their judgment of that. Someone might get chosen over for a, a, a European trip versus you. We'd like to think better. But that is one of the reasons and different element, and I'm glad that's why I asked you and brought this up. I remember you sharing this with me is it's, it's also fear of your livelihood, right? You know, um, mm-hmm. and so, so it's not just, you know, judgment, what people think, but there's that, and then there's this. And so, you know, again, even though he didn't mean it in a, you should be ashamed of this way thing, right? <clears throat> right. He, <clears throat> without knowing it. That suggestion still, when people suggest things like that to you, it makes you go, hmm, all right, mental note to self, this is a different world I'm living in with this thing. Absolutely, absolutely. And it also affected my ability to meet people. So I went on, I went back to college for my sophomore year because luckily the numbness retreated in time, but I went on this dance of denial. I mean, I really, my dad didn't want me to bring it out, so I hid it. I was still numb for two years after that initial episode uh, and dealing with other symptoms, but I continued on my merry way of working hard and playing hard. And eventually, you know, in the dating realm, I was just terrified to tell anybody that I had this disease, this, you know, that I might be perceived as being defective or damaged goods because I had this invisible disability. And it is interesting the way that it does affect friendships. Because you will distance yourself and keep yourself on the outside because you have a thing that you're not sharing that you might get rejected for that mm-hmm. you'd rather not bring into the equation. But then again, that doesn't make you a great friend because you're like, they can't truly accept me for me because they don't know this thing about me. Right? So there's that little nugget mm-hmm. of not having a transparent um, relationship there. And and I, I feel that my issues with it, just as you described really for many, many years. In fact, I actually went and called a few people back who I had very close relationships with, but who didn't know this about me. And I had to call, I sort of like kind of coming out, you know, I called them and said, there's something I just need to tell you because we can never be closer. And I feel like you've been open and so vulnerable, but this is going to be one-sided if I don't share this. So just, just love that. Um, you know, we both, I, I felt less alone hearing that story from you when we were at Paleo FX, especially because it was yeah, right likewise. before I was about to go on and speak. So it was really perfect for me to hear that. Um, but let's get into this. So um, there's so many things you mentioned in your book that are really important about this. Let's talk about, I mean, I get the overall would be, right? It's talking about autoimmune gut root causes, um, disruption in the microbiome. Tell us, as you're going down this road, you tried some things. You tried vegetarian, you tried this. As you're going down this road, 
What are the first things you notice about food? Yeah. Well, I, as I said, there was no internet, there was no guidebook, there was no Terry Walls, there was nothing like that. So all I had to go on was the public library and my intuition. And I just intuited that food must have something to do with this MS. So off I went to the library and I found this swank diet book, which said that the best diet for MS was a low fat vegetarian diet. And so in our household, we were already totally low fat. I mean, we couldn't go lower fat. My mom, we had tubs of margarine, nonfat milk, ice milk, ice cream. Um, and so the only change that I could really make that I could tweak was removing meat, fish, chicken, and going full vegetarian. And what I noticed was, um, more tummy trouble. So I'd always had a little tummy rumbling after eating, but I thought it was normal. I thought everybody did. And it wasn't, you know, driving me crazy. It wasn't disrupting my day, but I would eat and then, you know, just feel a little rumbling. But then when I added more whole grains to my diet, I actually felt worse. So I noticed something was going on. My tummy rumbling got worse. My MS symptoms didn't get any better. So that was a failed experiment, but I did try just a variety of them, everything from veganism to vegetarian and macrobiotic and back again. And that didn't ultimately work for me. I have heard that uh, back in the day, I did hear like low fat, don't eat fat. Um, what was that? What was that philosophy for for MS? You know, I can't even remember what the theory was of why to eliminate fat, but there was, a, and there may still be a, a line of thought that saturated fat is bad, um, and especially if you have MS. But quite the opposite is true because our brains are what sixty percent fat. The myelin sheath is fat. It's surrounded, it's coated by fat. All of our cells are surrounded by a lipid layer that, that's fat. And if we're not eating enough fat, we're actually not serving our nervous system. So in my own experience um, and with clients that I've worked with and everybody that I interviewed for the book, which are about a dozen functional medicine practitioners and doctors and people who've overcome their own autoimmune conditions, I just wanted to say that this is not just about me. I really wanted to amplify the healing stories of other people. And to a person, nobody healed from an autoimmune condition that I spoke with, with a vegetarian approach. Um, people began to heal when they went paleo, when they removed those grains. Um, and that's ultimately how I healed. But Well, and that's kind of interesting because you even mentioned that. You say, you know, it's kind of funny because that led you to some stomach disruption, mm -hmm. but then in trying to solve the stomach disruption, right? bingo, right? right? So finally, um, it took 26 years of trial and error, uh, a lot of different experimentation. Um, the relaxation experiments were terrific. Uh, the low-fat vegetarian was not a winner. Medication did not work for me. But lo and behold, the big Eureka experiment was finally deciding to go see a nutritionist because I figured by 2010, I knew enough about nutrition that maybe something that I was eating was causing the gut problems. It's time to go check it out. So I found a functional medicine nutritionist and she ran some tests and lo and behold, we found out that I had non-celiac gluten sensitivity, meaning I didn't have celiac disease, but I might be among the 30% of the population that is sensitive or has difficulty with gluten. And so sure enough, um, she led me through a gut healing 30-day uh, window where I took out the gluten, the dairy, the you know typical elimination diet, and healed my gut and started really taking care of myself. In one week 
of removing the gluten within one week, I stopped having tummy trouble after eating, I, like ever again. And then within a month, I stopped having any and all MS symptoms. And that is why I do call that my Eureka experiment. And I'm, I'm very quick to add that I am not naive to think that people can just, you know, who have MS are going to have the same experience that I did of just removing gluten and healing completely. I, I want to be really clear that I worked for 26 years on meditating and all kinds of stress reduction and forgiveness and other things like that and uh, worked on healing my gut and that was all part of it. But that's why uh, it's really important that people consider this this multifactorial approach. But for me, that was my linchpin trigger. It's so interesting how you <clears throat> go down this road and then you find like such a big component you know, so far down. And it's great when you do, um, you know, Mark Sisson as well. And everyone who's listening, if they haven't heard or Mark talk about this, but you know, the experiment of his wife saying, well, Hey, listen, why don't you just try giving him grains for 30 days? And he was defending his right to eat grains. To her. <laughs> and, and, uh, he had arthritis in his knee and his fingers, his ankle. And then like he had IBS that ran his life. And, um, after 30 days of no grains, his IBS went away and so does arthritis. Um, so it's always worth a shot and it may take a little bit longer. Um, one of the things you mentioned that I think is interesting and I suggest that everyone explore, particularly if you're dealing with an autoimmune situation, we, um, if you don't know about this already and you're, you're new to this, look up autoimmune protocol, right? You know, look up the, the various ways other people with autoimmune disorders have realized things that are, <clears throat> you know, they're sensitive to like foods high in histamines, things like that. You mentioned these things in your book. Uh, you mentioned other uh, ways to optimize uh, certain nutrients in the body, of course. And, you know, you yourself are, are sort of in, obviously in the paleo primal uh, arena here. It's, it's, just, it's just so fascinating to me that sometimes eliminating these things is, is worthwhile. But sometimes, like you said, it's a sensitivity. The food sensitivity test I'm really glad that you hit home with this in your book. This is such a subtle thing, and I didn't know about it until I took one. And my way of understanding it is, hey, you may not have some crazy reaction that you can even feel, but there might be things that you are sensitive to that could be causing underlying inflammation. Um, And so if that is a further investigatory thing for people to do out there, I did it myself, and I I found some very interesting things. When you took the um, food sensitivity test, what were the things for you that were like, oh, you know, was there anything that light bulbs went off for you? Well, this is an interesting question because I've done different food sensitivity tests over the years. And the first one that I did that that identified the gluten, um, I did one soon thereafter and identified dairy, specifically casein and dairy. So those were the two biggest and remote main, the two, two biggest things for me today. Um, the other thing that's come up is cane sugar, um, strangely or oddly. Um, but sometimes I find, and most practitioners find that actually doing the elimination diet is a lot more empowering than doing a food sensitivity test. Because sometimes when you do these tests, you'll find that you're reacting to things like I've done tests that come back and say that I can't have cooked banana pineapple or red dye number four. And I'm like, I don't eat banana, pineapple, (laughs) you know, red dye number four. So I wonder why I'm reacting to this. It didn't make, I didn't have a sense of cause and effect. If you understand 
what I mean. And what's so pesky about these food sensitivities is that they're not like true emergency food allergies, like a shellfish allergy or a peanut allergy where your face swells up and, you know, your throat constricts. It sometimes takes, they're called delayed food sensitivities and it can take hours to days to be able to tell what you're reacting to. But when you take things out all at once for a period of 30 days and then add them back in slowly, the reaction can become quite strong. And that's when you know. And I think to be able to tell the cause and effect of something makes it, in my experience, one of the most empowering experiments I ever did because I could really tell. And I can't even remember if I ever added gluten back because it was such a strong reaction. I don't have any memory of adding gluten back into my diet ever again since November of 2010. I have had dairy on occasion and I've tried goat dairy and sheep and I seem to do okay with that. So I don't know if they're affected. It's harder to tell cause and effect. But when you have the sense of, wow, this is really causing my joints to ache, remember, you know, it doesn't matter what the autoimmune condition is. There might be 150 of them it's whatever your weak link is. So when that is, whether it's brain fog or um, just the sluggish thyroid symptoms or the numbness and tingling of MS or the arthritic pain, when you put those foods back in that are bothersome to you, you'll feel it right away. Yeah, I did that as well. And it really led me to a great conclusion about eggs that I didn't know and I ate eggs my whole life. And sort of uh, went along and then I eliminated them. And when I reintroduced them, it was uh, not great. And it's not to say like you, like sometimes I can have it in things or whatever, but I just don't regularly keep it in my life anymore. And yeah. and it is better. Um, tell us, what is FITS? F-I-G-H-T-S, like fighting, FITS. <laughs> so FITS is a mnemonic I created because when I finally, after after healing, I dove into the research. I was determined to find out how in the world was it possible for somebody like me, a a regular woman, to reverse an irreversible disease like MS? And I found this super exciting science that included epigenetics, which shows us that it's the environment that matters most, not the fact that our genes just express themselves in some sort of pre-programmed kind of way. And then I dove in to find, you know, well, what's the risk factor, genes versus your lifestyle, for example? And I found CDC even has a report from 2014 that says that only 10% of your health outcomes are related to your genes and 90% are your lifestyle habits. I was determined to figure out, well, what are those habits? What are the big categories that people need to address when it comes to reversing or preventing an autoimmune condition? So that's the research that I really did since 2012. And I discovered that they fell into six big categories um, that stand for food, infections, gut health, hormone balance, toxins, and stress. So that spelled fights. I was really hoping, L, that it spelled peace. But, <laughs> but it didn't. It didn't. It didn't. It resonated with that little child warrior, you know, and fights it is. So I wanted something that was going to be helpful for people to remember all the things they need to address. I wanted it to encompass all of the elements. And it turns out that it's metaphorically perfect too, because people really need to fight this and be proactive with their health. What do you, where do you start? I mean, you, you uh, in functional medicine, I mean, we, you attack so many different root causes, right? We're looking at so many different angles. Um, 
obviously you and I would say both, hey, start with diet, start with your gut health immediately. Um, when someone's given a diagnosis of MS, like what's the first order of business there then? Mm. It's a great question. I, I think I'd have to even back up a bit and say the first order of business is mindset. It's just understanding or being aware that this is something that you can control because it's the scariest thing. You feel completely out of control, especially if you're seeing a neurologist that doesn't believe there's anything that you can do except take medication and maybe prepare for your life in a wheelchair. We know so much more now. We have so many more stories of people that have overcome things. So I think really in my heart, the first thing is to understand hope is real. Healing is possible. People have overcome these seemingly incurable conditions. So that would be the the very first before any, before fights, it's just getting your mind uh, and understanding uh, that this is possible. And then the second thing is absolutely food. Uh, in my experience, in all of these doctors and practitioners that I interviewed who themselves overcame their own autoimmune challenges and who work with patients today. So we're talking tens of thousands of people who have healed from autoimmune conditions. They say food is the highest leverage category because people can heal 60 to 80% of the time and sometimes 100% of the way when they start with food and remove these inflammatory foods. And sometimes, like you said, eggs, you know, they're not inflammatory for everybody, but for other people they are. And one side note on eggs, sometimes it's not the egg yolks or the egg whites, it's the fact that the chickens were eating grain. Right. So it's not just whatever you eat, it's whatever you eat ate. And if you're sensitive to grain like I am, um, and you have and eggs. grass-fed right. or pastured. Mm-hmm. Right. You, and if you're still not healing, you might need to dig deeper. But the, the point is starting with food helps people feel better. And when people feel better, they have more energy. They have more um, motivation to dig into other areas. And that's when if there's more to do, you know, like clients that I work with, sometimes they, we, we always start with food and the mindset thing. And once we do that and they're still not feeling better, oftentimes it's either a hidden infection, sometimes and almost always there's a stress element involved. But when they're feeling better, now they can deal with some of the chronic stress issues. What's the sign of it being gone? I mean, you know, people are like, wait, how is it possible you could reverse a disease as incurable as MS? So, Obviously, you don't have any symptoms, I take it. Are there blood results? Like, you know, are there sclerosis-like MRIs? <laughs> like, what, what, what do you look for when you're like, I'm out of the woods here? Yeah, well, another great question. And it's a combination of factors. First and foremost is not having symptoms um, at all. So in my case, I went from feeling like I was plugged into a wall socket 24-7. I mean, there was a sense of electricity coursing through my body all the time. And at the time, right before I gave up the gluten, every morning I would wake up and feel like I had these tremendously heavy legs on waking. And I had bands of rubber bands around my torso. There was really significant, notable symptoms. So not having symptoms is your first clue that you know things are better. Now, somebody might say, well, that just means you're in remission. You can't actually get rid of an autoimmune condition. Um, and I, I would answer 
that when you look at epigenetics, it shows us that, yes, I'll always have the genes for the MS, but I don't necessarily have to have those genes expressed. That's right. So it was only being expressed then in that environment, and now it's not. Right. And, you know, same with, I mentioned Seamus Mullen, who, you know, medication for 10 years, rheumatoid arthritis, totally debilitated, totally fixed everything through food Mm -hmm. completely, and basically has no medication, nothing, is totally fine for like 10 years now. And if you took the blood test, it would not show. And that's the goal, is to get it to undetectable levels, or I guess we could say not expressed. A lot of doctors, as you mentioned when you were young and still now, do not understand that there's something you can do about those antibodies or about that immune situation. And there is. And it's a lot of the reason why, and, and you know, I'm not sure if we chatted about this at Paleo Effects, but like with Hashimoto's, you, let's say you're on medication and you're doing well and you don't feel hypo or anything and life is great. But every time you get your blood tested, you've got like 300 TPO antibodies or something. And the mm. doctor just goes, okay, well, this person has Hashimoto's, so that's why those things are there. They don't realize that you can and should as a goal, try to get those levels very low or undetectable. And that is really where the movement needs to be, and that's where functional medicine is at. And that's where, you know, you and, and also want to mention that, you know, Mark Hyman uh, did the forward to your book as well, um, very prestigious uh, physician. What are, what are some other things that we need to know about autoimmune. You I mean your book is so detailed? I mean, it's really a Bible for, okay, how do I, how do I, how do I even, how do we even deal with this? Um, you give so much hope for people. Your situation is so hopeful, and that's why I'm so glad to interview you because, gosh, what if you had listened to the doctor that right. said, well, get ready for a wheelchair? I mean, don't you? I mean, my gosh, how did you, did, did you ever go back and say, hey, just to let you know? <laughs> yeah, I got to tell you this. You're going to love this one. Um, so yes, my job, what I feel like I'm doing L with this is making the complicated more simple. I, uh, somebody left a review saying, uh, that it's like having a health coach in your own home. And that was really my goal with this book was to try to break things down because sometimes it can be super overwhelming. And I felt like I, I and maybe this is part of who I am because of my dad, thankfully that I don't, stand bullies that well, especially when I feel like they're not treating me fairly. And I never got an answer from doctors, six neurologists over 26 years who said there was nothing I could do except take medication. And I knew there must be something. So that's why I did all those experiments. But then once I healed and found all this exciting research that shows, no, there's actually so much that we can do. I just, I, I really wanted to get this out and I wanted people to know that they are empowered to do something about it. So uh, while it seems like a really complicated arena, I really try to break it down into just these doable steps and strategies that I walk people through. You know, you start with food, and if you're not better, then we're going to look at infections, and here are the infections you might want to consider. And everybody's got to heal their gut. You know, the the gateway to autoimmune conditions really happens through the the lining of the gut, a leaky gut. We found out in the turn of the century with Alessio Fasano and his team at Harvard that there are three elements to the equation. You have to have the genes for an autoimmune equation and you have to be exposed to these environmental factors. It might be the gluten. It could be mercury poisoning. It might be chronic stress or some combination of factors or chronic Lyme disease. Something is harming your gut. And when your gut becomes leaky, that is the pathway to autoimmune conditions. So we need to, in all cases, remove the things that are harming our gut 
uh, including the chronic stress, which does cause leaky gut, by the way. That was a shocking thing to me. So we have to remove those things, heal our guts, and it's a matter of just doing that detective work so that we can unwind from these conditions when we may always have the genes for them, but we don't need to necessarily express them. That's that's the hope and the promise of this. You must wake up every day in your non-electricity state so grateful. It must have been so tough to live like that and not know when it was going to end. And now living in a place where it's not there. I mean, I just want to cry of joy for you. Well, <laughs> I mean, th- really. Thank you. Thank you. And I do have to say, because I didn't answer your question directly, but I want to about the neurologist and going back. Um, so right in uh, 2011, right after I found the gluten sensitivity, removed it, stopped having that those sensations. I mean, stopped having all of them. I went back to the neurologist, like jumping up and down. Like, you can't believe this, doc. This is unbelievable. And he kind of gave me one of those really condescending pats on the head with, you know, Palmer, gluten sensitivity is not real. It's a fad. Um, so good luck to you. Your MS must have been benign after all. Like there is no such thing as benign MS. I was going to say that's not a thing. Not a, not a thing. So so fast. Yeah, I just also want to shout out to, you know, this is the reason. So I interview lots of authors and I told you how much I really honestly to the audience out there, this book is great. Um, and, you know, I'm not surprised and not to say this to pump up myself, but a lot of times fellow patients, people who've gone through this, who've been through all the doctors who had to sift through this and learn it for themselves and become their own expert are the ones that write the books that make the most sense to other patients. You know what I mean? Because we're coming from a place of understanding and empathy and having been through it and a place of learning these things and not being doctors, not having this approach and having to come from a different place to understand it. And so I think that that's why your book is so, uh, it is like that, that review is so perfect. Um, and, and that's why, you know, you lived it. Um, it is so sad. And I bet you too, you know, people would ask me to, if I went back to those doctors, if I went back to doctors and told them, Hey, if you just tested free T3 and free T4 and didn't rely on the TSA, like they would look at me like, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever, you don't know what you're talking about. I mean, it just, there's, uh, and some, some people are open and we want to go to those doctors. And that's why, again, functional medical practitioners or functional health coaches like yourself, what would you like to leave our audience with um, for people that are out there who are been diagnosed or still struggling with autoimmune disorders? Yeah. Uh, the first thing that I'd like to say is that hope is real. Healing is possible. There's lots of evidence around you. You just have to look for it. And ask yourself, for anybody who's struggling, um, I, I invite you to go back to that question that I was asked when I was 19, which is, why do you think you got this. And I don't mean it in a way that causes you to get angry with me for asking it. I mean it in a way that's just really loving. It's an invitation to go within. And it might be to get quiet, to sit. Um, If you're not into sitting and you want to go for a walk by yourself without an iPhone, to just really allow whatever comes up for you to come up. Because chances are there might be something that comes to you just in an image or a thought. And it might be that you're not in the right job. Maybe, you know, it's not the right relationship. Um, Maybe you're not aligned with who you really are, or there's some sense of unworthiness um, that you have. And so 
I would say ultimately that auto having an autoimmune condition is just an invitation to wake up to who you truly are and to be aligned with your true self and your true purpose. I love that. And, you know, actually, I should have ended it there, but I want to throw in one more thing, which is, you know, on the message of hope, can you give us a couple of stories of people you know? Um, there's there's a few in the book, but just some stories that will give us hope other than yours, which is mm-hmm. miraculous and wonderful. There's other people that have really done some 180s and uh, that you've been witness to. So I'd love you to share a few that yeah. really uh, hit you. Absolutely. Um, let me start with April. Um, she was a client and a mother of two, maybe she's in her mid thirties, had two small children, woke up one morning with, um, her her eye kind of, um, twitching and half of her face kind of paralyzed, um, terrified what was going on half of her body, like kind of like having a stroke. And, um, she went to a neurologist and, he did very cursory exam and she got her results in the mail saying, it looks like your results are consistent with MS. Like, congratulations, you have MS. Wow. And she was terrified. And the next step for her was to go have a spinal tap, uh, which is one way of diagnosing, and an MRI. And she was told to go on injectable medication right away. And that was that. And fortunately, somebody connected us and I was able to kind of intercede before she went back for her second appointment. And I asked her if she'd be willing to just, um, you know, take a leap of faith with me and just, you know, hear me out. And I transmitted the certainty that she would be able to do this. Um, And so she did. She changed her diet. She did this elimination diet. And within a month, her symptoms went away. And within two months, she considered herself as a person that didn't have MS anymore at all, but she knew she wasn't done. So she also had a lot of childhood trauma and, you know, parents that were alcoholics. So she was raised by her grandmother and she had a lot of work that she had to do in that realm, but she knew that now she had the energy to deal with it and she could actually take on that emotional level work. And she's done this, this, and now her family and friends view her as an icon of, of health. And, um, she's now spreading those ripples forward. So that's one example of many people who have turned their life around, um, mostly starting, you know, with the lifestyle changes. And sometimes, you know, you got to heal a gut bug or do something in that nature, but it's typically, you know, something that is really addressable. Yeah. And I'm, I've seen, you know, people turn around a Hashimoto's uh, encroachment in like six to eight weeks just by mm-hmm. a pure, strict paleo situation and optimizing nutrients. It really is amazing when you see it. And then you think, wow, all that suffering for six weeks of um, is possible. Thank you so much for your inspiration, your book. Again, um, tell us how can we connect with you and work with you uh, if we want private help from you. And again, tell us about Beat Autoimmune, the six keys to reverse your condition and reclaim your health. You can get it on Amazon. And just tell us. We'll put everything in the show notes. But, you know, we're suffering. We want to be guided by you. How do we connect? Sure. Well, one of the places just for information, inspiration, education is my website, which is palmerkippola.com. And if you go to palmerkippola.com slash gift, I offer 
people an optimal food guide, the biggest question I get from people, clients, and other people who are just curious is what do you eat when you have an autoimmune condition? So I've developed this guide. It's an ebook. It's 11 pages that walks you through how I think you can identify the best foods for you because everybody is a little bit different. So it's going to be based on a paleo template, but whether or not you have eggs or any of those suspect foods, you really have to find that out for yourself. So that's where you get that. I am not taking private coaching clients right now. I'm developing some group coaching and I have a private Facebook group called Transcend Autoimmune. And it is such a great way for people to interact with each other. There's just a wealth of really good information and people are, they're energized. They are helping each other. And so if you want community support, great information, uh, consider joining Transcend Autoimmune. And if you get the book, which is Beat Autoimmune, you can find it on Amazon. Come back to beatautoimmunebook.com. And that's the book website, and um, I've got free bonuses you can download there um, to assist you in your healing journey. Thank you so much once again, and uh, we will see everyone next week. Thank you so much, Elle. Hi, Brad Kearns here with something different than a stiff commercial script message. I want to give you an authentic endorsement for one of my favorite supplements of all time. It's called Adaptogenic Calm. used to be called Primal Calm, and the key ingredient in this formula is called Phosphatidylserine, or PS. And this agent has been shown in hundreds of studies to blunt the catabolic effects of the stress hormone cortisol in the bloodstream that's released in response to all forms of life stress. Whether it's a series of difficult workouts, extensive jet travel, personal stress of any kind, we're constantly triggering the fight or flight mode in modern life. And when people say, hey, you should take a chill pill, this really is a chill pill. Because when you consume an appropriate amount of phosphatidylserine and the other supportive ingredients that have been known to have a calming effect on the central nervous system, things like magnesium, L-theanine, magnolia bark, and rhodiola, you will get a calming effect. It's not like a stimulant product that makes you feel more energy and have a better workout but instead this sort of takes the edge off of that stress buzz where you feel that foggy brain function maybe a little shaky and finally fried at the end of a busy stressful day this stuff will help you clear your bloodstream from those catabolic stress hormones before they can do the damage so i like to take significant quantities of it in and around stressful events such as jet travel or in those heavy training cycles when you're really pushing your body and trying so hard not to fall into that overtraining, overstress, foggy brain function spiral downward. That's right, phosphatidylserine has also been shown to enhance cognitive function. It's commonly used in Europe on cognitive decline patients. And you can make that connection between when you're frazzled and overstressed and how your brain doesn't work quite as well. So this is a brain function enhancing, stress hormone reducing, secret weapon, adaptogenic calm. Look for it on primalblueprint.com.